the reason I asked Scott to read John 20 this morning is that's one of my favorite passages in John, and we probably won't get to it for another year and a half or two uh, at the rate we're going. So I figured I was safe to go ahead and read it uh, here in, in, our, in our time together this morning. But the, the reason is because in this passage, we're, we're, we have a, a very clear glimpse into what's happened. After the crucifixion, we have the risen Christ who comes among his disciples and enters the room. The disciples surely are astounded and amazed, and, and you can imagine everything that they've been taught in the last three years comes rushing in and all the things that they didn't understand or the the things that they missed came flying through their mind and they remembered everything things all of a sudden started to make sense and so Christ stands before them and he says peace be with you peace be with you and then he tells them he tells them as the father has sent me so I send you as the father has sent me so I send you Last week, we celebrated the resurrection. Last week, we greeted one another with Christ is risen, and we responded with he is risen indeed, the the traditional Easter response. But praise God, we don't just celebrate the risen Christ, and we don't just serve the risen Christ, and we don't just believe the risen Christ on Easter. Every day of our life, we serve and we live with the knowledge that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And so last week, as Pastor Bill preached from 1 Corinthians 15, he talked about the, the resurrection, which is the, the linchpin of our entire faith, when he, when he talked about it being the hope of everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we do as believers. As I was sitting listening, one thought kept going through my mind. And that thought was this, that, that if we truly believe that, if I truly believe that Christ is risen, if I truly believe that fact of history, that Christ is risen and that I serve a living God, a risen Lord, if I truly believe that, then I will serve him with all abandon. That there's nothing that I would encounter in life that would cause me to go, ah, it's probably not worth it to do that for Christ. That, that's probably, it's probably going to you know, be one of those things that I don't need to do because It could kill me. It could hurt me. There's too much risk involved. Because when I realize that I serve the risen Christ, there's no risk that I can take that's too great. There's no risk that's greater than life with him. But we live in a culture that is bound by a lie. We live in a culture that, that is really bound the hands and the hearts of God's people. And here's the lie. Here's the lie. I want to confront this lie this morning. And turn to a passage in Joshua 1. If you want to go ahead and flip there, we'll turn to Joshua 1 this morning. But here's the lie. The lie is that safety is the number one priority in life. Safety is the, is the priority in life. We live in, in, in a culture where, where we do all within our power, all within our means to keep ourselves physically safe, financially safe, even socially safe, emotionally safe. We don't want to do anything that might scar us emotionally. We don't want to do anything that might cause us to lose some social standing. We don't want to do anything that could endanger us or cause us to get injured or hurt unless we value that thing more than we do the risk. My son is sitting over here with a cast from his foot to his hip. I meant to ask him if I could use him for an example this morning. I forgot to. But you know how he did that? (coughs) He did that by dunking a basketball off of a skateboard ramp. 
And I asked him, did you make the shot? He said, yes. But you know what else he's already talked about? As soon as he came to from getting the cast on, the, the, the nurse came out and got Steph and said, you've got to get back here. This kid's killing us. He's saying that he's going to look up on YouTube how to dunk a basketball from a bicycle ramp on a wheelchair. <laughs> Laying there with a broken leg. Why? Because the risk is not more to Braden than the, the fun and the joy and the excitement of playing basketball. Many of you have gone through injuries in sports. Many of you have, have had that. You've been sidelined, but you got back out there. Why? Because the joy of the game consumes you more than the risk involved in playing it. We live in a society, though, in a world that's consumed with safety, and it's safety, safety, and so it creeps in, and most things are gauged by how safe it is. We have, we have safety measures for everything. I have safety locks on my cabinets for my kids. We have medical release forms that you complain about filling out, but we have to do it for safety's sake. We have hand sanitizer around every corner. We live with five-point safety harnesses with our kids. We have airbags. If my van gets hit, it's going to look like we had a pillow fight. Everything we have is safety. We send our kids out with knee pads and elbow pads and helmets on their bicycle. I would have got laughed off the street as a kid like that. But we live in a culture consumed with this idea of safety. I think we live like the Croods. I have four kids, and so I'm privileged to be up on all the kids' movies. And I know a lot of you probably have not seen the Croods, but if you want a picture of, of our culture and the lie of safety that so gripped the church, go see the Croods. It's a cartoon movie. It's cute. Here, here's what the Croods are. The Croods are a caveman family. It's the first quote-unquote modern family is what they're called. You know what they live by? What is safe? So the way they survived is the dad constantly asks, is that safe? Is that safe? It's not safe. Get in, get in, get in. He tells them a story every night. And that story involves them doing something that's not safe. And then he slaps the wall of the cave with a red handprint and says, they die. Every time. And so everybody, the son goes, that's safe, it's safe, it's safe. The daughter rebels, and she doesn't like living in safety all the time. And finally, towards the end of the movie, she makes a statement that I think you and I would do well to realize. She, she gets frustrated, and, and her dad's saying, it's safe, it's just not safe, we can't go there, it's just not safe. And she says, or he, he says, it's kept us alive being safe. And he, she goes, Dad, that's not living, it's just not dying. We, we've consumed ourselves with the idea of what do we need to do or not do in order to not die. The irony in this is that last week we were greeted, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. And we know that we serve a risen God, a risen Savior, who has promised eternal life to all who have Christ. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life, John writes. We know the assurance of eternal life in Christ. But yet, we've allowed this lie of safety to consume us, to prevent us from living and cause us to just avoid dying. But I would ask this morning, where would we be? Where would we be if this was the thought that consumed the pilgrims? Where would we be if the pilgrims held safety at the top priority as the supreme priority in their life? Where would we be 
if even sitting in here, some of you men and women, my grandfather and others, held safety to be of supreme importance during the time of World War II. Where would we be? Where, where would we be if the likes of Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott, John Patton, William Carey, and scores of other missionaries said safety is of utmost importance? Where would we be if they were bound by that lie that safety is the number one priority? Here's the reality. Is that there are times in life in which safety cannot, cannot be the top priority. It cannot be the top priority. The problem arises when safety becomes the trump card. When safety becomes the top priority. When it looms greater than our God. When us securing our safety becomes greater than us serving God, that's when the problem arises. I'm not saying to never be safe. I have kids. I understand the value of safety. And I'm not going to go and put them in danger just for the sake of putting them in danger. I'm not going to go put myself in danger just for the sake of being dangerous. That's for evil Knievel and the other guys like that. But what I am saying is this, is that, that there's, it's problematic when we allow the lie that safety is the number one priority in life to creep into our lives and the lives of our church. Because it's at that moment that we stop sending forth missionaries for the glory of God. It's in that moment that we stop living in the reality of the risen Lord. So with that in mind, with this, this lie that's in our, in our culture that safety is the number one priority, this, this lie that's crept into the church and has crept into our lives especially as parents, where we want to do everything we can to guard and protect our kids. In light of that and in light of the resurrection, I think it's appropriate that we turn to Joshua 1 this morning. Listen as I read Joshua 1, 1 verses 1 through 9 this morning. <coughs> now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise. Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. The ESV there says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Verse 1 sets the context for our passage. We, we find out here that Moses has died. Moses, the beloved leader of the people who communed face to face, has died. Now, if we flip over, if you just flip back one page in your Bible, the last two verses, three verses actually of Deuteronomy, reminds us of the importance of Moses. This is a, a major occurrence in the life of God's people. Listen to who Moses is, the summary statement at the end of Deuteronomy 34, starting verse 10. It says, since that time, talking about Moses, since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. He says, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. This is a, a significant event for Moses to die. This is a significant time in the life of God's people. Moses brought them out of Egypt. Moses was the one that led in confidence. Moses was the one who stood by them and stood with them in their time of greatest need. And God used him to redeem them out of slavery. So now they stand on the edge of the Jordan and Moses has died. But we also read that God has raised up a new man to lead them, Joshua, a man whose name was actually changed by Moses. You don't have to flip there, but if you read sometime in Numbers 13, verse 16, it says that Moses changed Joshua's name from Hosea, which means salvation, to Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. And we have this man who's now poised to be a leader. You remember Joshua, it was Joshua and Caleb, who went originally with the spies into Canaan to survey the land, to survey the situation, the land that God had promised to them. They went to spy, to, to search it out, and they come back. And what happens? All of the spies come back saying, man, the, the people are enormous. They're giants. They're fearful. There's, they're numerous. They're too many for us. They're too great for us. We cannot defeat them. But yet Caleb and Joshua do what? They say, no, 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 no. God has already promised. God has already given us the victory. He's assured us of the victory. We've got to go. We've got to go. How do the people respond? They cower in fear. The, the people stand in fear. Fear of what? Their own safety. The, the fear of their safety, the desire for their own safety, the fear of the risk that could be involved Death could await them. There's certainly trials across the river. And they say, no, there's no way. We're going to stay here. We're going to stay here. And God, therefore, what? He punishes them. And they stay. None of the adults are allowed to enter into the land of Canaan except Joshua and Caleb. So years later, we stand at the bank of the Jordan. And God comes to tell Joshua it's time. Moses has died. Joshua, who is now described in Deuteronomy 32 at the end of jo Moses' life as a man full of the spirit of wisdom, is poised to lead God's people across the Jordan. We go into verses 2 through 5, and we see two things. Joshua 1, verses 2 through 5. We see a truth that we need to know as Christians, and we see a promise from God that we need to rest in. Here's the truth. The truth is that men will pass away. Men will come and go. But God's plan will always stand. 
God's plan will always stand. Verse 2, he says, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. This land was a gift. It's an important theme in Joshua, important theme in all the, New Test- or the Old Testament, that the, the land, the promised land, is a gift from God. It's not something they, they merited. It's not something they earned, but it's a gift from God to the people. And he says, <coughs> excuse me, the land that I have given you, the land that I promised Moses, I am giving the people, now lead them over. Moses has come and gone. Moses, an influential leader. He communed with God face to face. He has come and gone. But God's plan remains. God's promises remains. From generation to generation, God's promises and plans remain the same. We need to know that. We need to know that God is faithful. This is actually just a repetition. If you flip back to Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 through 8. God, God says this. He says, then, there, then Mo, actually Moses says, Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel. So all of Israel's there. Moses comes and calls Joshua, and in front of all the nation, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. And now these same words are uttered again. God is faithful. The words that he spoke through Moses to Joshua before Moses died, now Moses is gone, and God speaks the very same words to Joshua again. He says, now go, take the land, lead the people there. It is time. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am your God. I am with you. The land that I am giving you will be yours. God is faithful. God is faithful. Matthew Henry says that God will change hands to show that whatever means he uses, he is not tied to any. You see, just because a great leader, an influential man dies, God's plans do not. God's plans are always faithful and he will not relent in carrying out his plan. He will not relent in doing what he intends to do. He will continue to maintain his cause on the earth to raise up men and women to fulfill his purposes. The importance for that today is this, is that some of us in this room are called to continue in specific plans of God's. We're all called to take forth the gospel. We're all called, we're all sent to the nations. So where do we fit in the picture? Because God is carrying out his plan. He's raising up men and women left and right. What is he raising you and me up to do? What is he calling us out to do to carry out his plans and purpose? So the truth, men will come and go, but God's plan remains. Here's the promise that we find in these verses. It's in verse 5. God says, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Listen, a, a failure to trust the truth of this promise is what left the people on the other side of the Jordan. A failure to trust the truth of this. A failure to realize that God is with us. He will not leave us or forsake us. Instead, they trusted what? They, they trusted their own means and they, they, they were swallowed up. The, 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 the shadow of the risk 
was greater than their God. And so the risk was too great for them, so they stayed. They did not do what God called them to do. Listen, here's the deal. The promise is this, that when risk is involved, when safety is a question, what does God say? I am with you. I'm with you. Consider Joseph in Genesis 39 and throughout to the end of Genesis 50. What do we hear over and over repeated? The Lord was with him. Everything Joseph went through, the Lord was with Joseph. He was with Joseph. His presence was there. When God calls Moses out to redeem his people out of Egypt in Exodus 3.12, what does God tell Moses? I will be with you. I will be with you. Is there a risk? Yes. Is it going to be dangerous? Yes. I will be with you. I will be with you. Here in Joshua, we're told in verse 5 and verse 9 that God says, I will be with you. Cross the Jordan. Take the land. Battle the people. Conquer the people. There will be risk. People will die. But I will be with you. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Isaiah God speaks to his people in Isaiah 43. He says, when you walk through the fires, do not fear. Why? Because I will be with you. God promises his presence to his people. And then Jesus, what does he say in the Great Commission? He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And man, I hope it goes well. Let me know how it goes when you get back. He does not say that. He says, go, what? I am with you always. As you go to the ends of the earth, I'm with you. The missionaries that we pray for every week in Peru and in Southeast Asia and Germany, God's with them. Our mission team that's going to stay the summer in Peru, God's with them in the Andes Mountains. Who cares how high it is? God's with them. God's with them. Our brothers and sisters who gather in house churches in China, who are martyred for their faith. God is with them. God promises his presence. At the same time, the same way he promised his presence to Paul in Corinth. He says, Paul, I'm with you. It's going to get bad. You're going to be beaten. But I'm with you. When safety is a concern, when risk is involved, God is with us. God's presence was not just promised to one generation of his people. The promise of God's presence is for every generation of faithful believers. All throughout Scripture, God promises to be with his people. That does not stop in Acts 28. It continues today that every generation of God's people are assured the presence of God. You and I are assured that God is with us. And it's for this reason that the writer of Hebrews can remind us in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. He says, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews looks at us and says, God's people, wake up. Wake up. Why, why are you so consumed with this concern for safety? Why are you so hesitant 
to go where risk is involved. I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not fail you. Go. I'm with you always. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Go to all the nations. Go. Risk physical safety. Risk emotional safety. Risk social safety. Lose your reputation. Because you may lose it in the world's eyes, but you'll never lose it in the eyes of God. You will always be a child of His. You will always be one that has been called out of darkness into the marvelous light. You will always be one of His chosen pilgrims, His chosen sojourners on this earth. And you will always walk in His presence. There's not a moment or time, a moment of time or a place that you, can, I, you and I can go outside of his presence. We need to know that. We need to know that. It's greater than any insurance policy I can pull out. It's to live the knowledge of the risen Lord. So we have a truth and we have a promise. The truth that men come and go, but God's plan remains. The promise that God will always be with us. He will never forsake us or leave us. He will always be there. And so it's in the context of this truth and promise that we read in verses 6 and 9 the command that God gives to Joshua. And he repeats this command three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. So this command rests in the foundation of God's promise and the truth of his plan being sure. It rests in that. It's not a hey, you be strong and courageous, you trust in yourself, trust in your own knowledge, your own strength, you better exercise a lot and be in good health. Because that's what you trust in, you trust in your own health, you trust in yourself. No. The, the call to be strong and courageous, the call to cross the Jordan is banked in God's plan and promise. It's banked in that. It's banked in the fact that he says, Joshua, listen, I am giving you that land. It is yours. It's a gift from me. It's a gift from me. Go. Claim it. No one will stand in your way. No one's going to stand before you. He's speaking to Joshua. It goes back to the singular here. He's speaking to Joshua as a leader. He says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Lead the people. Sure, some people that follow you will die. They surely will. There will be times of great risk. You will leave what you know here. You will go into uncertain days ahead. But I will be with you. I will be with you. Risk it. Because I'm greater than that risk. Be strong and courageous. Know my plan. Know my promise. Be strong and courageous. Listen, the reason that a lot of us a lot of Christians do not follow God's call. The reason that a lot of us will hear and go, God, I think you're calling me to missions, but then we wake up 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road and look back and go, I remember when that one time I felt called to missions and I didn't go. The, the reason that happens is because we often divorce God's call from God's promise. 
and the knowledge of God's plan. We separate the two. But when we understand the call to go and make disciples of all nations in light of who God is and what he said he'll do, when we understand that strength and courage is not in ourselves, but it's in the risen Lord, then we have that willingness and that desire and that passion to go forth and risk it all for the sake of Christ. The command is repeated here in verse 6, 7, and 9. Be strong and courageous. Joshua is to lead the people fully confident in God's promise. Fully confident in God's promise. You see, when risk is involved for the sake of Christ, it's always right. We're not called to fear. We're not called to, to be afraid. We're called to be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, the call is. The, the strength and courage that's founded in the Lord always drowns out fear. It drowns out fear. Fear is a learned feeling. It's a learned feeling. Kendall is in the process of learning that quite frequently right now. But until she learns that walking off the top of the stairs is going to hurt, she's going to do it. She's in the process of learning fear. Some fear is healthy like that. But throughout Scripture, what is the call? Do not be afraid. I am with you. There's no, no one or nothing that we're called to fear in Scripture outside of God Himself. Because God is with us. Be strong and courageous is the call. People of God, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not fear. He is with us and His plan remains. Verse 7 and 8, we, we don't have enough time to really do this justice. But I want to point out, verse 7 and 8, what is the key to Joshua's, Joshua's success? What do, we, what do we see here? Over half the paragraph is in verse 7 and 8 when he says, Be strong and be very courageous. Which most commentators say the insertion of that word very shows that this is highly important. This is the key. This is the crux of the matter is that if Joshua is going to be successful, then he's going to do what? He's going to be focused and consumed by the word of God. He's going to obey God's word. He's going to keep all of the law, verse 7 and 8. The key for spiritual strength, not physical. We, we see this frequently. Well, how does God work? He deals with the heart. What does he do in Judges when the people cry out to God for a Savior? They cry out, we need help. We need help. We're, we're being attacked. We're being beaten and killed and murdered. Help. What does God do? First, he sends a judge, a prophet, to speak the truth, to speak his word to him. Then he delivers him. What does Jesus do when the, the lame come? What does he do first? In, in Mark 1, when the, the friends lower the man who is paralyzed, what does he do? He forgives him. He deals with the heart. What is, what, what, what is the... The, the, the earmark of a successful king. He was victorious in battle? No. How do we know the kings were successful? Which ones were and which ones weren't in the Old Testament? Those who served God faithfully. Those who clung to the word. Josiah is highly respected. Why? Because when he found the book of the law, he gathered the nation together and they stood for the reading of it. Spiritual strength is the key not physical strength. If Joshua is going to be successful, 
He's going to abide by God's word. He's going to live in God's word. He's going to cling to it. The word of God will be where he finds out of God's will for his life. It'll be where he reads of the truths of who God is. The precepts of the Lord. He knows the law. He knows what pleases God. And he would find strength there. So why? One, why is it important? One, is that is that's where Joshua would know the promises and the wills of the Lord. Excuse me, two. It's the word that conforms us to the likeness of Christ. What do we, re- what do we read in John 17? We read of Christ praying that, that we would be sanctified by the truth. The truth is your word. God's word sanctifies us. We'll be conformed to the likeness of Christ by the word, the likeness of the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. As we're conformed, into the likeness of Christ by the word, then we're willing to risk it all for the sake of those in need of the gospel. Whether that means financial risk, whether it means social risk, or whether it means risking our lives, we're willing to risk it because we know who Christ is from his word and we're conformed to his image, the one who gave it all for the likes of us. So here's my contention to you today. Is it while the circumstance that Joshua found himself in might be unique in that they stood on the side of the Jordan? The call for us is the same. The call for us is the same that that we are called to be strong and courageous in Christ. That we're called to see God as greater than any risk, any desire for safety. We have a task before us. In Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John 20, just as the Father sent me, I send you. We're sent. There's no Christian in this room who is not sent. And there's no Christian in this room that has not promised the presence of the risen Christ. Go. Go. We have a task before us. There's risk involved. Safety is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. But we are promised God's presence. We're promised that His plan will be carried out. And we already know the ending in Revelation. We know these promises. One other just kind of movie thought for you today to close our time. Many of you may have seen The Hobbit or you've read the book perhaps. Maybe you read the book and you know that Gandalf the wizard comes into uh, the Shire and speaks to, to Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit. And he, he assembles all these dwarfs that come and, and they have a great task, a great quest in front of them. And as it's done, as they're leaving, Bilbo sits down in his chair And he does not want to be involved. He doesn't want to be involved. So Gandalf kneels down. He looks down at the the small little hobbit. And he asks him, he says, you've been sitting around for far too long. And he says, when, since when did doilies in your mom's dishes become so important to you? When did that happen? He says, I remember a hobbit that used to love adventure. He would do anything to go. All he could think about was going and being on these great adventures. 
And Frodo says, well, I'm a baggins of baguette. I can't just go running off into the blue. And, and Gandalf looks at him. He says, yeah, but do you remember so-and-so? And he starts reminding him of his heir, his, his heritage. Men before in his family that had gone forth and gone on great adventures. So Bilbo looks at him and he says, can you promise that I'll come back? Gandalf says, you know, I can promise that you'll have a tale or two of your own when you come back. But can you promise that I'll come back? To which Gandalf answers, no. But I can promise that if you do, you will not be the same. A lot of us are living like Bilbo Baggins and the Croods. We're kneeling at the idol of safety. We're so tied to doilies in our mom's dishes, our possessions, that we're scared to risk it all for Christ. We like hearing a great story. We love hearing of great missionaries, their sacrifices. We love reading of the sacrifice of Christ. We love watching epic movies like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. But when the opportunity for us to be involved in an adventure. And the opportunity comes for us to risk for the sake of Christ. We turn and we sit down and we wait, safe and secure from all alarm, with our five-point safety harnesses and our hand sanitizer. Because safety has become greater than our God. But that's not the precedent we see in Scripture. That's not the precedent set by the Apostle Paul who said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not the precedent we've seen by the scores of Christian martyrs who've died for their faith. It's certainly not what we see from the life of men like Martin Luther who risked life to stand up to the establishment for the truth of God's word. Risk is involved. Risk is involved. You and I need to go forth in boldness and strength and courage that's founded in God's truth and God's plan and God's presence. We're called to go. We're called to go. Let us be a generation that goes forth in boldness. Let us not raise a generation of Christians, a generation of children who are shackled by fear, who anytime their heart rate elevates and there's risk involved, decide to stay home. May we be parents and leaders who raise up a generation of young people that when their heart rate elevates, when someone looks and says, you may not return. When someone says, man, that's a dangerous part of the United States to go to. When someone says that is a dark part of the world. When someone says there's more Muslims there than there is sand. Let us raise up a generation that steps forth in strength and courage founded in the Lord. A generation that knows the assurance of revelation that God is assembling people from every tribe and every nation to stand around the throne in worship of Him. Church, let's go forth in boldness and take the gospel to the ends of the world.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you today knowing that you are the risen Lord. We come before you knowing that you have conquered death. You have removed its victory and its sting. And we come knowing that you have promised your presence to your people throughout every generation. So God, when we stand on the bank of the Jordan, God, when we stand on the edge of an opportunity to go and take forth the gospel, Father, we pray that you would fill us with strength and courage. That we would have faith in the face of fear. God, may we be obedient to your call. God, there are certainly those in this room who you are calling out to take the gospel to the nations. So God, I pray for those individuals, perhaps those families, I pray that you would grant them faith willingness to risk it all. God, for my own family, if you call us elsewhere, give us faith, strength, and courage to pursue you wherever you lead. God, in our everyday business dealings, in our everyday times in class, when our reputation could be risked, when our finances could be at risk, when our social status could be at risk, God, let that not loom greater than your call to stand firm in the gospel and to take it forward to those in need. We pray now, God, that you be honored, you be glorified in our time of decision. In Christ's name, amen.